You're listening to The Martial Brain, the podcast that explores the intersection between the martial arts, science, critical thinking, skepticism, and that wacky organ that floats inside our skulls in a pool of cerebral spinal fluid, making life unpredictably inspiring, infuriating, and sometimes just batshit crazy. I'm Jeff Westfall for The Martial Brain. The Forgotten War The Philippines, the USA, War, Colonialism, and the Martial Arts Part 23 The Pulahan War, Chapter 2 In her essay on the Pulahan War, Jennifer Halleck writes of the Pulahans, quote, they arose from a specific cauldron of local grievances, traditional values, and foreign interference that so often gives rise to millennial movements. Unquote. In the case of the Pulahans, that's putting it mildly. For those of you who don't remember, in an earlier episode I described the American campaign on the island of Samar. General Jacob Howland Jake Smith had given orders to kill every Filipino old enough to wield a blade. Upon request for clarification, he decided on the age of 10 or older. But he also gave orders to render the island uninhabitable for anyone who had not gathered in the appointed refugee camps. This was done by burning villages and crops and slaughtering livestock. Now, Samar had a particular economy— much of its agricultural output was a rare and valuable plant called abaca, and sometimes misidentified with the popular name Manila hemp. And of course, everybody in the year 2023 has heard of hemp. But despite this nickname, abaca is not a close relative. Instead, it's a variety of banana plant, and it sports supremely tough and useful fibers. It's among the strongest and most robust tropical fibers on the planet and where it beats all the other tough and robust tropical fibers as a strategic resource is that it doesn't stretch when it's wet. It only grows on Samar and a few of the nearby islands. That means that every ship in every navy and merchant marine on the planet was using lines, that's what sailors call ropes, made of fibers from this remote island and the surrounding islands. Great Britain, which still had the greatest navy in history at this point, and the United States were powerfully interested in controlling the production and trade of the abaca plant. As I said, much of the agricultural output of the island of Samar was cultivation of this rare and valuable crop. Growing abaca was the sole source of income for the desperately poor inhabitants of the inner highlands of the island. These people had been desperately poor before General Smith's rendering of Samar into a, quote, howling wilderness. Unquote. One reason they were so poor was that the financially elite Filipinos who lived on the coast of Samar were the only ones that the poor highlanders could sell their crops to. The poor abaca farmers lived in the interior, surrounded by a coastline that was ruled by the elites. There was no getting around them or through them. These elites had connections with European export firms that wanted a cheap, reliable source of manila hemp. As a practice, these coastal merchants paid the highlanders less than half of what the abaca crop was worth. 
and to add near starvation to economic injury, they were the only source for food for the inlanders aside from what they could grow themselves, and they sold the inlanders imported rice at premium rates. Even during the best economic times, this arrangement kept the highlanders in a steady state of poverty and hunger. It was essentially a plantation system, in which the inland people were barely better off than slaves or serfs. So that was their life before the Samar campaign. After the campaign, 27 of the 45 municipalities on the island were smoking ruins. The rice crops and stored rice had been burned. All the abaca crops and stores were burned as well. Now this irritated the navy and the coastal elites, but much more importantly, it was yet another devastating blow to the poor abaca farmers. In addition, the Americans had slaughtered most of the domesticated water buffalo called carabao on the island. Carabao were essential for the cultivation of abaca. After the campaign, what little agriculture that could resume on the island did. But for quite some time, Samar could only produce about a fourth of the food necessary to meet the bare minimum subsistence needs of the population. Work on a new crop of abaca began as well, but once again only reaching about 25% of previous levels. That meant that it wasn't possible to buy enough food to make up the shortfall because there wasn't enough money coming in. Then a massive drought hit the island, destroying much of the crops between October 1902 and June of 1903. Then the Americans on the Philippine Commission, in their wisdom, demanded new taxes to pay for the civil government they were creating. One of these was a levy of 20 pesos for every Filipino adult. In modern American money, that would be about $300. Imagine if the U.S. government suddenly demanded $300 from every American adult, with no exceptions for the poor or homeless. The poor people of the inland regions of Samar, already whipsawed by the death and destruction of war, by disease, starvation, and drought, and the exploitation of the coastal elites, now had to borrow money from those same elites in order to pay their taxes. Now these wealthy Filipinos were more than happy to lend the money. You see, the only thing that the vast majority of these highlanders had to put up as collateral was the meager plots of land upon which they grew their abaca plants. The rich coastal middlemen knew that the vast majority of the inlanders would not be able to pay off the loans and would have to forfeit their land. Of course, this left them in even more desperate poverty than before, now owing rent on top of their other problems. Many of them, in order to survive, sold some of their children, one at a time, to human traffickers, so that they could feed the rest of their children and themselves. Now, you would think that these people would be able to complain about this situation to government officials. But the government officials on Samar were all from the elite, wealthy coastal class. What a tidy arrangement. But wait, there's more. In late 1902, a cholera epidemic killed thousands of people on Samar. Now, don't let me mislead you, Samar was not the only setting for the war, but it was a major theater. The next-door island of Leyte was suffering under similar conditions, and it became a major theater of the Pulahan War as well. 
These poor folks in the central Philippines just couldn't catch a break. So it's easy to understand that they were vulnerable to being misled by millennial, religious, fanatical ideologues like the Pulahans. The Pulahans were an interesting flavor of religious fanatics, and I'll tell you about them next time. Anyway, that's what I think. But I could be wrong. Let me know what you think, and check out old episodes of the Martial Brain podcast at my website, rpmartialarts.com. I'm Jeff Westfall for the Martial Brain. The Martial Brain is produced by Raging Squirrel Productions in association with the Rising Phoenix Martial Arts Academy. If you like the podcast and would like to help it grow, go to iTunes or Stitcher and give it an honest rating and review. Contact me with questions about the Martial Brain or about the Rising Phoenix Academy at my website, rpmartialarts.com.